And now, a shameless plug. Trolls, Hulder, and Draugr, oh my. Join the family of the Thorolfsons as adventure finds them at every step, told in a style similar to that of the Icelandic sagas mixed with folktale stylings. This book explores the fantastic as it explores the world through the eyes of a family in an undisclosed Nordic setting. Foxes, wolves, dragons, and more will test the mettle of this unsuspecting family as they hold true to their heathen values and explore the unseen world around them. Through all these tribulations, they learn the most important lesson of all. Family is everything. Up now on uh, the Kindle ebook shop, as well as on Amazon.com, you can find my book, The Saga of Bjorn Thorolfsson. It's available in paperback and in ebook format. So give it a check out. This is a story some of you may be familiar with from my channel that I've been telling for a little while. It's finally been finalized and put together into book form. So check it out and uh, let me know what you guys think. And now, back to the show. Hi there, I'm Eric Wordweaver Sherbin, Gothi of the Ridgar Folk here in East Texas, and I'd like to welcome you to The Raven's Call. This is a show where I ramble on about different heathen-related subjects, just kind of whatever strikes my fancy at the time, sets my mind on fire. So this is uh, my chance to kind of ramble, and it, it does get pretty rambly. So those of you that have watched or listened at the, the podcast version at home, uh, you guys know <laughs> I get off on tangents, and it's a lot of fun, but I enjoy it. Hopefully you guys do too. Big UPG warning in the beginning of this. I am not a hardcore recon. Um, I do tend to go from a more, more Norse Icelandic bent on things, um, but it is an equal part of uh, research tradition, things like that, as well as my own personal insights and growth. So... If you're a hardcore recon, uh, don't be expecting that coming into my channel. Uh, I'm also not, you know, super uber fluffy bunny. Um, like I said, I'm somewhere in the middle. So make of that what you will. Um, my big thing is not my haul, not my call. What is my haul? Is my call. So there you go. Now, uh, quick blurb. You guys probably have already seen it in my other videos, but yes, I do have a book out now, The Saga of Bjorn Thorolfsson, which is available on Kindle ebook shop as well as in paperback on Amazon.com. Give it a look-see. Um, I've, I've put ads up all over the place by now, so if you guys aren't aware of it, um, you just haven't seen those videos yet. So <laughs> I've got a little teaser trailer up in uh, the feed so you can just look it up and see it. Uh, and actually, if you go to my Weaving Words thing, you can actually watch me tell the first like three chapters of the book in uh, storytelling format, which is how the story's meant to be done. Uh, but anyway, it's there, so give it a look-see. Please guys, if you like what you see, hit like down below, subscribe, ding the bell. Uh, the more you interact with these videos, the more you're going to see. If you're listening to the audio podcast version at home, then please, whatever your interaction style for that particular podcatcher is, uh, go there and do that. Uh, leave reviews, whatever it may be. Uh, and uh, on the subject of the book before, if you guys have gotten the book and you've read it, please leave me a review on Amazon. Uh, it helps to let people know that it is indeed worth taking a look at. Uh, otherwise, they don't look at it because it's like, ah, it's only got one review, it can't be made. Anyway, you get, you get. Anyway, on with the show. Today, I wanted to talk a little bit about, because, you know, I've talked about some magical workings in the past. You know, we're still going to be kind of in the, in the woo-woo area of things. And um, I've talked about some, some different traditions in the past of uh, divinatory work and of magic practices. And I kind of wanted to revisit some of that a little bit in one specific one, just to kind of give a, a look-see. Um, if you will look at the particular tradition of Uthasitta, 
Now, Utasitha, or out-sitting, is a tradition that we see in some of the sagas, uh, specifically the sagas, more than the, uh, I don't recall if it appears in the Eddas, but Utasitha is, that's the Norse for it, out-sitting, sitting out, uh, is a really kind of neat tradition. It's a really kind of neat um, practice. And it is divinatory in nature, although the the to whom you are pulling varies. Um, I find that Utasitha is a catchphrase for a number of different kind of... There's like an overarching kind of this is Utasitha and kind of broad strokes, this is how it's done, but then the gentle nuances and the specifics of it actually vary from instance to instance. Um, as far as from where the inspiration is being drawn, um, with whom you are communing, if you're communing, and if it, it's, it's, it's interesting, it's interesting. Um, the reason that I want to visit this is because I get a lot of questions about uh, crossover with Eastern religions and things like that, Eastern philosophies. And one of the ones that people ask me a lot is, you know, what's the role of meditation? In, uh, in heathenry. And I'm going to tell you straight up, there's not a role for meditation in heathenry. But there is Uthasitha. And Uthasitha is very much like, has a lot in common with meditation. Uh, actually, Uthasitha is kind of a form of meditation. It would fall under the greater umbrella of meditation. Uh, and of course, meditation is done for many different reasons in many different formats and styles. A lot of times what a person does when they meditate is they just simply take a moment to centralize their thoughts and their breathing. They become aware of their body, um, the surroundings, the world around them. It's, it's, there's a misconception that meditation is meant to void the mind to empty your mind of everything. It's like, that's not really what meditation is about. Uh, it gets characterized, characterized that way um, by media, by movies and anime and, and, and things like that because um, that is some of the rhetoric of, you know, empty your mind of excess thought. It's to still the mind. It is to slow the mind. Meditation in and of itself is the act of calming the body and calming the mind to allow more precise focus, more precise perception. Um, and it takes a number of different forms, you know. Uh, meditation can be done through kinetic movement. It doesn't necessarily have to be still. It can be done through kinetic movement, through physical motion. Uh, you can reach that kind of meditative state without necessarily being the whole sit with your legs crossed and, you know, chill out until uh, your mind goes elsewhere. Um, the idea is that you're stilling the mind, you're stilling those extra thoughts, and you're focusing. It's laser focusing. Um, it's actually an ultra focus as opposed to a lack of focus. Because what you do within meditation is you ultra focus on things like the breathing. Um, that's, that's one of the key things that they will use as kind of an intro tool for meditation is, is focus on breathing. So it becomes this ultra focus on this one thing that allows you to let go of the extraneous thoughts. All the busyness in the mind goes away and you become more singularly focused. And the things that matter the most to you will come to the forefront. 
It's kind of the way the psyche is. When you come to the psychological side of things is when you still all of the cognitive dissonance that's going on, when you still all of the extraneous information coming into the mind, you focus on singular sensation and perception, then you, you key the brain into that. It allows the other areas to slack up a bit because we exist in a state of hypervigilance, especially in modern day and times because we are surrounded by technology, we're surrounded by screens, we're surrounded by sounds, we're surrounded by so many things that are sensory input because we crave sensory input. We use sensory input to communicate. And then once we figured out how to use sensory input to communicate, we figured out how to blast each other with sensory input to sell things, to convince people of ideologies, this, that, and the other. At any given time, when you look around you, you're gonna see billboards, you're gonna see flyers, you're gonna see ads, you're going to see, uh, you're gonna hear phone calls, uh, radio ads, TV ads, TV shows, scripts, whatever it may be. You're going to see media, you're going to see things around you. That all just bombards the brain. And so, we're not in a point where we were like a few hundred years ago before a lot of this was going on and before we existed in such a busy environment where the the stilling of the mind was a normal thing you know you could like okay um a lot of guys will understand this when you go out and work and this is to come back to the whole kin kinesthesiology aspect and the kinetic energy uh, also utilized as a meditative tool you reach a state of mind that is very meditative in nature uh, when you go out and do something that is ex physical exertion requiring focus but not a lot of deep thought so something say like splitting wood which was a common one uh, as a kind of meditative tool for a lot of guys you go out and you split wood it takes focus it takes a lot of focus otherwise you're going to cut your leg off you need to set the board right and set the log right you need to hit it just right with the right amount of force otherwise you know you're gonna have to get the hammer and the splitting mall and take it down but it's something with measurable results and it's something with clear-cut boundaries and so it's not abstract there's no abstraction to it it's very concrete very repetitive exerting physical energy but still allows the mind to turn off all the extra crap that's going on and hone in on what's actually bothering you. So a lot of guys, when we go out and work, when we go out and you know dig a ditch, we go out and split wood, we wanna go you know, hammer nails into a board on a deck. Part of the reason we pick menial repetitive labor is because it shuts off the rest of the mind. You guys know this. Um, this is a meditative tool. I promise guys, I'm getting back to it. It, it. it all comes full circle, okay? So this is a meditative tool. It's a tool to kind of shut off the extraneous elements to allow some focus. Now, more traditional forms of meditation, of course, include things like sitting in a relaxed position, focusing on your breath, focusing on maybe some imagery or sound input, but usually a singular focus so as to allow those extra areas of the brain to kind of relax and to hone in on one specific thing. Once you've honed in that laser focus on a subject, on a sensation, on whatever, then you can freely let your mind start to wander a little bit. And when you do that, and you follow the flow of where your mind wants to go, what you've done is you've shut off a bunch of the noise, and then you've started to kind of drift down the river, 
and you're gonna see where this current follows because that's where your mind needs to go. Those are things you need to process from a psychological standpoint. Um, divinatory wise, this is also a point where you are relaxing your mind to a point that you can actually be more perceptive to flows and weird, flows and energy. Anybody that does divinatory work will be able to tell you there's kind of an altered state of mind that you need to reach in order to be able to do good, effective, um, divinatory work. Some people just naturally slip into it with very little effort. Some take a little bit more preparation, a little bit more ritual to achieve that state. Uh, some go deeper into that state. Some people kind of shallowly dip into it, um, but still have certain effects and certain results. So this is an element of reaching that mental state. Meditation is a form of, of getting there of uh, getting to that altered state of mind that allows for heightened perception and uh, heightened understanding. It, like I said, shuts off the extra stuff and allows more of the instinct of the brain to kick in. Uh, you use more of these massive faculties that you have going on in there uh, on the subject at hand because you put down all the extra irons for a little bit. Um, so, you know, it comes in many different forms and different shapes. That's why I was saying, you know, physical exertion or more classical meditation, as it were, meditation. And so I don't necessarily like to use the term meditation for it because at its essence, at its core, the why, the what it is, uh, meditation itself is like a specific form of reaching this altered state of consciousness, of reaching this mind state. And uh, that's, you know, that, that's very... Eastern philosophy kind of focus, but it's not specific to Eastern philosophy. You know, like I was talking about the physical use of things like splitting wood and things like that. That's not technically meditation. Meditation is the technique that leads to the stillness, calmness, and everything. But what it is, is shutting off the extraneous to reach that altered state of mind. Hunters do this when they're out hunting. They hit that stillness, that quiet point, where their perception shifts, where they shut off all the extraneous, and they can see the little movements, they can hear the rustle of the leaves that they would not normally be able to hear. I see this somewhat as tapping into the fera soul, uh, as well as stilling, just stilling everything in the mind and uh, bringing a lot more of those faculties to bear at the same point. It's an interesting alignment. Um, in the subject of like the axis mundi kind of thing, uh, you're aligning things in such a way that things just kind of flow naturally and you get rid of some of those obstructions uh, that doubles into some of the chakra work and things like that if you really want to get out there and you know, woo woo land uh, that's all for later <laughs> different videos um, but yes meditation as a technique is very effective uh, but ultimately what we're coming down to again is that altered state of consciousness um, if you ever read uh, The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan, he speaks in, uh, especially in archery, uh, about the flame and the void, uh, wherein you take all of perception, everything, all of the visual stimuli, everything you have, you focus on one little candle, and then you pour all of everything into that candle, let it consume all of your perceptions of the world around you till there's nothing left but the flame and the void around you. And what that is, that is a metaphor, uh, so it's a visualization really, for this altered state of consciousness and reaching this point. That is what meditation is all about. That is what reaching that zone 
in physical exertion is all about. Um, cyclists love it because they get out and ride for hours and hours and hours on end and they hit a zone. Uh, kind of like runners that hit their runners hot. Same kind of thing. You hit that point of altered state of consciousness. That's when you achieve the candle and the, the flame and the void aspect. So just kind of a little fantasy nod there for the Wheel of Time buffs. But that is in and of itself a form of meditation for those that are listening at home on the podcast i'm doing the air quote thing because it's not truly medication uh, meditation <laughs> medication it's not truly meditation in that specific sense it's kind of like um it's a semantics battle kind of like with the subject of shamanism because if you're not specifically speaking about i think what is it sammy shamanism um then you're not really talking about shamanism per se now there are shamanic elements to things if you take shamanism away from the specific cultural reference that it is tied to and use it in a more broad vernacular term, a catch-all phrase to encompass similar thematic elements to the cultural reference that it originated from, this enters the colloquial vernacular and becomes an acceptable definition of the word. Uh, it's a connotation versus a denotation. I know I just went way word geek on you guys. I'm sorry. Um, in essence, um, shamanism is only shamanism if you were speaking about the specific cultural reference of shamanism. However, everybody and their dog in the world around you, unless they're being pedantic and arguing just to be an ass, will understand if you talk about shamanic elements to something because there are certain traits that we understand to be shaman-like uh, that exist cross-culturally and we're using a common term known and accepted by others to kind of define that. So meditation is the kind of the same way. You've got this common term that we all understand refers to this general calming and reaching the altered state of consciousness, uh, but it's not truly meditation, okay? So now back to our point at hand. Okay, that was all about a 15-minute ramble, I know, but it sets the stage for this, guys. Utasitta is a form of meditation in a Norse Icelandic context. Utasitta, um, if you will look at some of the lore, some of the, the sagas specifically, you will find that there are references to individuals, particularly men of power, uh, seeking insight and information on a decision. They need divinatory assistance to make a decision for their people. It's kings, it's goldi, it's leaders, it's it, those are the individuals you will see that will go Utisitta. Now Utisitta takes a couple of forms. One of the forms that I have seen, this is probably the most common, is the sitting on the mound. This is the one that I come across the most even though it's not necessarily referred to as Utasitta in most settings. It is still Utasitta, it's just not necessarily the same trappings as the other version that we'll look at here in a second. Utasitta here, in this instance of mound sitting, is, and you could almost call them two separate things, but essentially you're doing the same thing, so I still count it as Utasitta. Mound sitting, you go and sit upon the grave mound of someone with whom you would like to commune to gain their insight. So 
Uh, specifically, you will go back and look at like in the Heimskringla, in the Icelandic sagas, you will see numerous mentions of kings that would sit upon the mound of previous kings, their predecessors, or uh, ancestors that uh, ancestors that they wanted to gain particular insights from. They would sit upon their mound overnight and quietly contemplate. The idea being that if you look into some of the locality ideals uh, that are rife within heathenry, there is a strong tie between proximity and accessibility. So, you know, if you look back at my soul complex videos, um, you'll note that I, I feel like personally in my own UPG world that uh, the soul complex breaks up into multiple pieces, especially at death, and they go to multiple different places. Part of that is the lich and some of the soul elements that remain with the lich here in the physical world that return to the earth, that return to Midgarth, that are recycled and reused within the realm of physical material while our spiritual elements are reabsorbed and reused in the realm of spiritual materials. So we are here and when we bury someone, a strong focus of their soul energy is there. Um, it creates an anchor point where you know the soul elements are drawn back to it because it's still part of them. Um, so it makes connection across to the spiritual side much easier. Plus the grave itself is the doorway to the underworld through which they have passed to reach the other side. Um, it is a permeable membrane. So it is, again, that, that gateway, that threshold. Um, permeable membranes. Uh, th threshold, is a ma threshold magic is a thing because of permeable membranes. Because a threshold is a form of a permeable membrane. Um, so this is a permeable membrane. It is the location of the remains. It is a strong soul tie, specifically here. And so by being there, by seeking a connection at that physical location, you facilitate the connection. And now this is a more developed and abstract kind of way of thinking about it than say our ancestors would have. Uh, when one of the kings of yore sat down on the hill, all he was thinking was, I'm going to go sit and talk to you know the previous king and I'm going to see what he can give me. I'm going to go sit and get some luck from him. I'm going to go sit and get some, uh, some insight, hear his voice. Because here's the thing, they didn't necessarily think of things in the minute, abstract ways that we might hear. Um, because we are trying to fully understand a worldview that was inherent to them. It was innate. It was natural. So they didn't need necessarily to break down why they did every single little thing they did. It's just how they did it. And it made sense to their brains because they were enculturated that way. We're still very early into the enculturation process and the rebirth of heathenry. So we're still trying to catch up on some of that. And we're still puzzling out how, why they went about things. So we're going to look at things in a more analytical fashion doesn't mean that's the way they thought about it back then, but it's the way we need to think about it now to be able to understand it. So, sit upon the hill and commune with the ancestors, with the previous kings, with whomever it is that you are seeking insight from, because they need to get that answer. They need to still their mind, to quiet things in a place that they know of as a safe, quiet space, and yes, you are communicating with the ancestral 
spirit so that you can maybe get a little advice, maybe gain a little insight. Maybe they can make that one neuron fire that will click things into place for you because they don't necessarily, the spirits don't necessarily have the same kind of language we do. They're not going to whisper in your ear what it is you need to know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, it's actually much easier for them to kind of implant a, an image or the seed of a thought in your head directly because um, the ephemeral deal better in the realm of the ephemeral than in the realm of the concrete. You know, it's harder for an ephemeral spirit to have a concrete communication style. Uh, it's much easier for them to have ephemeral and immaterial communication, if that makes any sense. Anyway, so the essence here in the mound sitting side of things is that you sit upon the mound overnight and commune with the spirit in the mound to try and gain some insight to help make whatever decision it is that you need to make. Um, and it did largely seem to be tied around royalty making specific decisions. Like they didn't really know where to go with something, so they went to talk to the previous king to gain insight. Now sometimes they would do it just to get luck as a blessing kind of thing. It's kind of a sitting vigil sort of thing in that element, a communion. Um, but most of the time it was specifically to seek some kind of answer. Which brings us to the other kind of Uthasitta, the less tied to the mound, but the more just generalized Uthasitta, which is where you will see referenced in the lore. Uh, the individual will take their cloak and they will wrap it about themselves, they will throw it over their head. Usually, they will effectively make themselves a little igloo of cloak, a little tent, and sit outside. Weird elements, whatever. Sometimes it can be done inside, but what they have done is they have created this cone out of the cloak and they have taken themselves out of the world. They wrap up, they scrunch down, and they think. And they sit and they think and they think and they think. Now, this specific practice you will see referenced in a number of different sagas. I can't remember the name of the saga specifically, uh, but this is one of the ones that was referenced specifically in the decision of uh, Iceland adopting Christianity as the official religion, because the individual goes out and he does the Utesitta, he wraps up in the cloak and then thinks it out and then comes back after he's been Utesitta, won't eat, won't drink kind of thing. Um, and then he comes back from it and he's made his decision and he tells everyone. So. This is a very, this is a specific kind of take on this, but it is no different whatsoever from individuals who will do steam baths to do vision quests, who will do fire gazing to do vision quests, to get insight, those that will sit and uh, fast for extended periods of time to gain insight. You know, all of these things where we seek to connect ourselves to the other side. Most of the time, when we're doing one of these kind of rituals, what we're trying to do is access the other side. We want to access the other side of the veil, the realm of the dead, because the ancestors have more answers for us. They're watching us. They've already done it before. They see things that we don't see from the other side. So we seek their guidance. We seek luck from them. We seek insight. So Uthasitha largely is used to commune with ancestors, hence why the mound sitting thing is so specific. You want to make yourself as near to the other side as you can, and the best way you can do that with mound sitting is to sit upon the freaking doorway 
that is that connects the two worlds you know now with this one the cloak wrapping what they're doing is the cloak creates a cone of silence as it were it's not really a cone of silence because obviously you can still hear through the fabric of the cloak I don't care how thick it is you can still hear through it but it will muffle some what it does though is it creates a cone of darkness it reduces the visual input and it makes it feel within the mind you create a boundary you create a world within the world and this world is your own and it becomes a sensory deprivation world because you focus and create the void within that little boundary and so the cloak becomes the inside the cloak becomes the void wherein you can be focused and you can shut out the rest of the world and you can focus on what it is you need to think about and what you need to talk about and so I know a lot of people will utilize this kind of utasitha to gain insight by stilling the mind and <clears throat> kind of reaching this point by uh, cutting away a lot of the sensory extraness and then letting their mind wander till they get the answer. Now, there's a number of influences as to why they get the answer. It could be uh, influence from the ancestral spirits that are reaching in and touching the mind and giving them some kind of insight. It could be simply that by calming the mind and allowing it time to flow organically and naturally, uh, they're simply yielding more of their own gift, which is inherited from their ancestors, so it's still ancestral, uh, inspiration but they're using their own gifts their own intuition their own deduction uh, in a more effective space you know it's uh, they, they've honed the machine to a point where it just works better and therefore turns out better information so they're using their mind and their tools could be that they are getting some influence from Vaitir spirits around them um, could be some divine inspiration in certain instances uh, but I find that to be less the case uh, with ancestral influences being more the case uh, just simply because the gods don't necessarily focus on every individual who is meditating uh, <laughs> I think you got to be pretty high on uh, <clears throat> high profile <laughs> to get their attention uh, with something like that so anyway the gist here is that whether it be mound sitting or if it be the cloak wrapping version Uttasitha boils down to sitting out it involves connecting with energies in the outside because both are done outside uh, and but it's a stilling of the mind it's a it's a consciousness so Uttasitta I use as a term frequently because it carries with it the cultural aesthetic of the northern European uh, more Norse Icelandic side of things however that does not mean it has to be one of these two forms these two forms give us an indication that there's not necessarily one set way to do it um, basically, Uttasitha boils down to go find a quiet place, sit, and think. Get your Winnie the Pooh on. Uh, this is, that's what it boils down to, is finding a quiet place and reaching a calm state of mind, an altered state of mind, an altered state of consciousness through the stillness of mind. Find that Iserun within yourself and that ice that stillness. And then from there, you can see what you need to see from that stillness and that calmness that you begin to perceive and that you get to understand that is meditation so I would say the rune of meditation is Isa um, it's probably more binary than the Isa and Kenas but still um, stillness stillness in, mo in, in the moment 
in the now and the here. So Uttasitta is a form of meditation within a Norse Icelandic kind of context. It has multiple different forms and how you use it depends entirely upon how you want to use it and whether or not you're looking to historically recreate a specific style because if you want to historically recreate a specific style this is one we actually have a number of references for you can go through the sagas you can go through the hemskringla you can find some specific references to kings to goli going utisita in these different forms so they are there but i'm going to tell you from kind of a middle of the road sort of way that whether you go Uttasitta by wrapping a cloak around your head or by, you know, sitting on a gravestone, sitting on a grave mound, graveyard, whatever, splitting wood, shooting your bow and arrow, tossing a spear, or sitting quietly and drinking a beer, having a smoke, whatever it is that you do to calm your mind so that you can relax and get inspiration that goes towards Uttasitta. Now, is just going out and taking a minute and chilling out and whatever, is that Uttasitta? No, that's not Uttasitta because Uttasitta is a ritual. Uttasitta is a specific process. You go Uttasitta. You know, yeah, you can take a minute to cool and calm your mind and get your, get your head and facts straight. But when you take it to a ritualized form, it becomes a new level. So all of these things I've talked about before Yes, they are forms of meditation. They are there. They become meditation when you purposefully set about them for the intended purpose of getting that altered state of mind. So you can go out and split wood and still kind of chill and get in that zone, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're meditating. You may kind of accidentally slip into it through the repetition of tradition uh, of that, that ritual element. Uh, but when you go out and you state that I am going to do this specifically so that I may reach this state, I am going to engage in the ritual because this is what gets that effective result, then you are engaging in it. So if you are going to go out and you go Uttasitta and you have set your particular parameter, you know, you know that you are going to go and you're going to do the cloak and you're going to stay there for 12 hours or whatnot, three days, whatever your thing is, three days is ridiculously long, don't go do that. Uh, you'll throw a... a thrombosis or something like that don't do that uh, <laughs> um, go for a period of time do the sit gain the insight follow the ritual but that's the key thing establish your ritual because when you ritualize it it becomes more powerful when you ritualize it and you repeat the ritual and you get your methodology in place You've established your why. Your why is you want to reach this altered state of mind. The how is the ritualized traditional format. And then you go through the how to reach the why and you will get your results. Um, this is basic, basic, basic ritual building, which I will probably come back to and revisit that particular paradigm within the realm of ritual building again. Uh, but just for the purpose of Uttasitta, I want you to understand, just like any other ritual, it is identify the purpose, the why, and then you go about the how. The how is less important than the why as long as the how gets you to the why. At least in my mind. There are more effective ways of the how than, than others. <laughs> Some hows are more effective than others, uh, but your how is still your how. And if it works, it works. You know, there's an old saying of it may look stupid, but if it works, it's not stupid. Keep that in mind, okay? 
it may look weird and different but if it works it works if it works for you well not my hell not my call so Uthasitta is something that you can explore and something you can research, you can look into, but mostly it's something that you build and do yourself for yourself. And I highly recommend it because it can be very calming of mind, it can be very invigorating, um, and it can be very helpful in those dark times where you need some insight and you need to calm the rest of what's going on up here in order to gain some kind of... Uh, some kind of clarity in the moment so anyway guys i have rambled oh man this is a ramble but this is one that i kind of been coming meaning to come back to for a while uh to touch on simply because i get a lot of questions about things such as meditation and other kind of either neo-pagan practices or eastern eastern philosophy kind of practices and so I like to show where those correlate. And one of those, of course, has always been the meditation thing. Well, how does meditation fit into either? And like, it fits in all over the place. We just don't call it that. You know, one of the forms that we do that's very similar to that is Uttasitta. Is it the only one? No. There's meditation elements in Shaith work and uh, Shpey work. There's meditation elements in hunting, in fishing. There's meditation elements all over the place. It becomes meditation when you ritualize it, formalize it. So those, that's why I fall to the magic pro practices is because that's where it's ritualized. That's where it's formalized. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's why it becomes meditation per se, as opposed to just a calming and selling of the mind through, you know, something like fishing or, again, it's repetitive ritualized motion, but it's not done purposefully to reach that state. Uh, whereas with an actual meditation ritual, it's done purposefully to reach that state. So anyway, continuing to ramble. Thank you guys. I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, feel free to leave me feedback down below. All of my contact information is down there. Uh, you know, give me give me what you can. Uh, let me know what you think, and we'll go from there. So, hail to you all. Thank you. May your hearth fires burn bright. Mm -hmm.